You are listening to the Talking Tough Podcast, the world's toughest men and women at their most vulnerable. Their stories of triumph, their falls from grace, and their climb back to the top, to life. This is Rick Bassman here for Talking Tough on the Podcast One Network. Rick Bassman here for uh, the Talking Tough Podcast. Super psyched today, and I'll get to uh, in a minute why the reason for that. Uh, there's a couple of things I always like to, to say up front. One is I'm, I'm up here in the we are up here in the wilderness of Maui. Uh, we being myself and my four beautiful little maniacal pit bulls, and and I bring this up every week for two reasons. One, uh, it's uh, we're isolated up here, me and my four dogs, and it's a big event if a car comes even a quarter or half mile from our house. If that happens, you guys are going to hear an explosion of barking from my four beautiful little pit bulls. So I apologize in advance. We'll do uh, our best to, to work our way around it. And then I also use that as a segue to a shameless plug for the only thing I'll, I'll plug for myself during this podcast. And that is our nonprofit organization, the Bully Dog Rescue Coalition at bullydogrescue.org. Um, we are striving, we being myself and four amazing ladies, including my good pal and best friend, Linda Blair from The Exorcist. I know this is getting weirder by the moment, but we are working together, myself, Linda, three other ladies, to save the world and make the world a better place for pit bulls because Linda and the other three have dedicated their lives to opening shelters and sanctuaries and making the world a better place for these dogs. Okay, there's there's the pit bull stuff for the day. Um, I, I want to use that before we get to our guest today. and I'm, I'm not going to drop his name for a moment yet. Uh, there's a reason for it. Um, I, I want to talk a little bit about this past week and last night. So first of all, I hope I don't sound too loopy today. I am on literally zero sleep. Um, a lot of you guys know my history. You know, there've been some pretty awful depths to my very numerous rock bottoms. Um, live on Maui these days in a house that I'm amazingly blessed to have. Uh, we've been fighting to hold on to the house all week, but that's a story for a different day. And you guys also know that the most important things in my life are my dogs. I'm, I'm someone say strangely attached to them and strangely close to them. Last night at about 1am, my, my eldest and the guy who's been <laughs> for better or for worse, my best friend for 12 years, Ramon had a horrible, massive grand mal seizure last night at about 1am. I've seen it in other dogs in my years in rescue, but never my own. And years ago, when I pulled Ramon's brother's Marley's crushed body out of the trash bag after he'd been run over and killed by a car, uh, that was probably my worst moment ever. Um, and that includes things like being shot and digging the bullet out of my own belly and watching my dad die and having my, uh, losing my daughter and so on and so forth. Last night with Ramon was probably my second worst experience of my life, at least in my own uh, strangely ordered um, priorities. So he's okay today. It's been a rough night. It's been a rough day. Um, I I thank you for bearing with me. And and there's a reason um, I'm talking about all these, you know, quote unquote hardships. I think we all know people that when, in part of the metaphor, but when they stub their toe, it's like the biggest problem in the history of the universe to the person who stubbed their toe. You know, talking tough is about, we, we say in our tagline, 
you know, we feature the world's toughest men and women at their most vulnerable. And we talk about their stories of triumph, their falls from grace, and their climb back to the top, you know, to, to life, if you will. So some of the folks on Talking Tough have had some real challenges, and they provide inspiration by how they've come back. You know, I, I almost wanted to try to joke around for a moment and say that our guest today has never known any real hardship or challenges in his life and then come back and be all dramatic about it. But then I'd realize that would be disrespectful because today we are going to talk to you. Man, wow. I'm actually getting the chills. I'm a huge, huge fan of this guy, and I cannot believe we got him on and agreed to be on. Our guest today is Emmanuel Jahl. He's a gentleman who, to the public, if you know him, would be known as probably the best known of the lost boys of the Sudan. And Emmanuel will explain a lot more about that, I hope, um, about what that means. But essentially, he, um, he was taken from his family as a small child. Um, he, was, he was forced into being a child soldier. Hopefully, we'll get him to share some of his experiences about that. And, and the guy, you know, he's ripped from his family. It goes on and on, um, his, his stories. And it, it makes mine, which I thought of the worst in the history of this universe, pale by comparison. And the, the flip side of it, this guy is an amazing worldwide peace activist, a, a advocate for positivity. Um, his recorded music, which is just out, off the charts, reflects all of that. So I want to go ahead and with, um, with great pleasure introduce our guest today. Mr. Emmanuel Jahl. Emmanuel, you there? How you doing? Good, good, man. How about you? I'm great, man. Thank you, man, for the great introduction, and thank you for the gift of your story to us. Yeah, no, it's my pleasure, you know, and and I bring that up. And and, and my story, I like to think that these days, Emmanuel, is something I want to ask you about. I like to think I got past that that poor me or, or I'm a victim attitude toward my story. Now it's just a story. And I bring it up to, to illustrate that we all have them and that some of us have, have bigger trials than others and do a better job of coming out the other side. Uh, can, can you, I mean, I, I could do this. I, I studied you. I know who you are. I could do this, but rather in your own words, if you don't mind, can you let our listeners know briefly who, who you are and what your story is? Well, um, my name is uh, Emmanuel Jao, so that's the name I, I currently have. And I'm currently now a recording artist, a hip-hop artist, an entrepreneur, an activist, an actor, and a live performer coach. So how I got here, it's a long journey. So... I was born in the most difficult time, so my country was at war with itself. And that war reached the core of my family. And all my aunties died during the war, all my uncles, except two. And by the age of seven, my mom was taken away from me by that war. And at the same time, I was told I'm going to go to school in Ethiopia, where we had to walk hundreds and hundreds of miles. Some children died of starvation. 
some died of dehydration, and some were eaten by wild animals. And I remember in this journey how tough it was for us. Now you see like six, seven years old, burning their own dead. Somebody died. We dig our own graves. We make our own prayers. We bury our own dead. As children, we were excited to go to school, but nobody prepared us for this journey. Where there's a saying that you can track our journey by the skeletons left behind. I remember when we arrived in Ethiopia and we were all lying down. One boy started talking at night and he said, who made the bag of maize? Why are we suffering like this? God, what have we done? Why are we here? Where is my mommy? Where is my daddy? And the kid kept on asking questions throughout the night. Nobody went to give him a hug. Nobody tried to understand what he's saying or give him the answers. But his voice got exhausted as time went on at night. In the morning, when I woke up and I could literally see his face, I was standing, some children lying down looking at him, and some sitting. He had a rope on his hand. We don't know where he found a rope, but he had a rope on his hand. And he climbed a tree. And he tied a knot on the tree. And he tied it on his neck, and he jumped. And we all just watched. And that summarized what was in the head of every kid. Now, being promised to go to school, when I was going, I was having dreams in this journey. I was visualizing myself with pen and paper. And I would see myself reading the book. But this time, it wasn't that. We took him to a training center just literally after a while. And that's where I learned and I became a child soldier. Well, I mean, it's, it's intense. Um, well, it, it, it's hard to know what to say to that, Emmanuel. You, you live in... You live in Toronto, Canada these days, is that correct? Yeah, I live in, in Toronto. Like now yeah. I'm currently living in Toronto, yes. So you're in Toronto, a big, well-developed, um, you know, first world city for sure. And I, I'd imagine, I know you're well assimilated into the, the culture here. So I'd imagine you've heard the term first world problems before. Is that familiar to you? Yeah, yeah, first world problem, yes. All right, so, you know, it's funny. We, we talk to friends every day, and our friends have problems, and, and it's all it's all about their perspective or, or proportionment, I think. And at the end of the day, the, the problems we have here are, are what, including the ones I described from last night, they're what I would call first world problems. We're, we're not burying our own friends with our bare hands. We're not seeing our, our families torn from us. And... It, it amazes me that, and, and I know who you are today, and I'm really excited about sharing that with our listeners, 
But it amazes me that you are who you are today, um, having been what, what you've been through. And th- there's one question I want to ask you, and I hope it's okay, because we spoke for a few minutes uh, the other day, and you said I could, you could ask you anything. And if it's uncomfortable, you don't want to answer it, tell me, please, and we'll move on. You, you mentioned in, in what you were just telling us that your, your mom was taken away by the war. Can, do you mind telling us what, that, what the details of that were? Well, she died during the war, and so, and yeah, that that pierced me, you know. This is my mom, you know. I was so connected to my mom, but she was gone. And as a child, I didn't know death comes once, and it's gone. Yeah. In my head, I had an illusion that mom will come back, and sometime I would dream that she's that she's walking with me. Wow. But just to realize later, she's actually gone. Yeah, I, I I dream of my mom still, and I'm I'm gonna push a little more. And again, feel feel free to just to to tell me, not ask me, tell me to move on if I'm going in the wrong direction. You know, Emmanuel, my my mom died when I was 13, and I was really really connected to my mom, and I still dream about her all these years later. And this is gonna probably sound like a horrible thing to say on air, but it is in my book, so I'll say it. My mom died while she was away for the weekend at a resort hotel where she was having an affair on my dad. And that's a hard thing to reconcile all these years later. But, but here's my point. And I, and I love her and I forgive her and, and you know, what happens happens. But bottom line is she was in a resort hotel in Palm Springs, California. Um, Mm -hmm. Do you mind sharing with us the circumstances of how your mom went? Well, I wasn't, uh, she just disappeared. You know, one time I just heard the news. Because what happened is we were separated at one place. And, you know, like when everybody's running, all I can see is the separation of the war and us screaming and she's running different directions. So we got shifted. Sometimes when war happened, we all run different directions. But later on, we're able to unite by the word of mouth and we get united. But this time there was no unification. You know, uh, yeah. Wow, that that's that's amazing. Um, so, so you go from from that experience to to what you talk about in 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 your book, which is the, I'm sorry, War Child, of course, which I read many many years ago and have read again since. So you talk about becoming a child soldier. And I think most people in, in pop cultural reference might have an idea what that is, but how would you define truly what being a child soldier is? This is from someone who experienced it. Well, this is a child with a real gun. He and Mary play with video games and toys. But at that time, we children with real guns, real toys, you know, and that's what was there. And the child soldier is a kid who's trained to be a soldier. And they can engage in active battles just like an adult. So, for kids, I'm sorry, go ahead. They don't know you. For children, they don't know you die once. They have no, because they have no plans. They have no idea of having a family. You know, 
and the beat of the AK-47, the reason it's addictive. You know, you, your friends, the only time you know how terrible war is, is when your friends, people you play with, don't come back. For me, the most, the lowest point is, the part I never like the most, the most exciting part is when you actually engage in the battle. That's the exciting. Violence is fun. But the most disgusting part is when those guns are over. And now the music that you hear now is people who are broken limbs. You know, there's all this kind of gun painkillers and everybody's crying. You see bones, sticking hearts, cult open blood on the full aid of the enemy or your fellow comrades. And that sticks in the head. Like, it just plays and plays and plays and disgusting. I remember a point where we're in a, a place where there was, yeah, a lot of bullets, you know. <laughs> For many days, bombs dropping, shells dropping, opening up stuff. Like, where you eat your food and it tasted like gunpowder, you know. It smells. You don't want to eat. I didn't want to eat red meat because every time I try to eat red meat, it reminds me of human flesh. That's how terrible it was for me at one time. Well, the only point I've ever been is because I believe everybody has a story. The, the only one, the only challenge is when we hold our emotions to the defeat of the past, it robbed us the value of what those experiences have given us. Like in this journey, there's a situation where we had to drink our own milk when there's no water. There are places where I was tempted to eat my comrade because there was no food. Like that's experiences that I've gone that are mind-boggling. You know, at that time, they were not impacting me. When I was in a peaceful environment, that's when the secondary war began to play itself. And that is actually worse than the actual real battle. I would imagine uh, you've really come to experience it after the fact or, or later in life. I can, I could only begin to imagine. So let, let me ask you this, and, and, and I hope you don't mind this question, but it leads to the next. So you, you had to kill other people. Is that right? That's what it's all about. All right. <laughs> you so, just killed, be killed. I mean, I, I had to come out and ask, I was trying to figure out the best way to ask that question, but you killed, uh, you killed other people. When you think back to that now, what do you feel? Well, it depends. It depends. I've cleaned up my thoughts now. So I've been meditating for years, so read a long time, and I've created a meditation style uh, that I teach now in Toronto, which you use to rewire your brain so that your brain, you know, when you are at the lowest point in your life, sometimes the, the percentage of of positive thought resonating in you are very low. So depending on the situation. So I've learned how to train my myself to ignite, to increase the amount of positive thoughts happening in my heart. You know? And I'll, also I'll, to minimize the flashback. So when there's a flashback, it does not have much impact. Like today I had a flashback a huge flashback of my childhood when we capsized on a boat with 250 and only 60 people survived. 
and I, I, I saw myself inside. I was like dead, <laughs> alive. And then you see flock, uh, young babies and young boys floating in the air and days. And then my head was just thinking of fuel the whole time. So like, you know, one flashback, I think you know this, when you have a flashback of one second, two seconds, or up to 10 seconds, it's kind of like your entire body begins to hurt. And if you haven't developed a system to to make you understand and reboot yourself, then you would kick into depression. So luckily, my body was able to handle it. So when I have a flashback now, I just absorb it and watch it like a movie and not react to it. When we, we react to the flashback, that's when it has a, a tremendous damaging impact to us. It's just like reacting a thought. When we react to a negative thought, it just, that negative thought can begin to create itself. It takes energy and becomes it, life. It, it, ain't that the truth, man? It is so self-perpetuating. And it, se- it seems like, Emmanuel, I spend half my time these days talking with people about it, exactly this. Um, I, I want to, it's going to sound like I'm changing the subject for a moment, but I'm not. I want to come right back to what you're talking about. Uh, uh, would you say, on, on a scale of one to ten, how happy are you generally these days? So, uh, to be honest, I'll, I I have the one thing that I have that is the most valuable thing that I have is joy. So, 24 hours a day, I have joy. So, wow. there's difference between happiness and joy. So happiness can be substituted easily by sadness. And happiness comes with things we expect. Whether you're expecting credit or you're expecting a gold you want to achieve or, or you ask for something. The things that we want, when we get them, we get happiness. When we don't, there is sadness. But the coolest thing about joy, it's 24 hours a day. And so I have that joy. So the more the suffering, the more I get drunk in joy. And you can only access that through your purpose, and it's free. And so, and you know, I've managed to develop a system, the art of generating positive emotions. So my emotions are very important. I make sure my emotions are 10 over 10, 100% full. If it drops to 9, I have to find out why. If, it, if your emotion drops below 6, you're messed up. You know? <laughs> so... That's the only thing I money to secure because that's what I use. Because when my mind is attacked, then I have positive emotion to be able to bring the peace back in my mind quickly. Because I always say the battles are fought in the mind and they're won in the heart. So when your mind is in that attack and your heart is not pumping joy, and if your heart is empty, you're messed up, you're gone. Well, all right. Um, I got the chills. I got the chills again, man. I, I know you actually have your own system these days that you're teaching, and and I do definitely want to talk about that more toward toward the end of uh, of our interview today. Uh, I, w- I want to get um, uh, Emmanuel. That was amazing. I'm having trouble finding my words. I, w- I want to get a little preachy for our listeners for a second. Whatever it is you are going through today, I, I hope you'll take in the, um, the the last what Emmanuel said. He, he described his circumstances to you, described his story. Like I even wrote down while you were talking to Manuel, you said violence is exciting. And you believed that at one point. That, that was who you were. Uh, 
guys out there, Emmanuel Dahl is, is, is a recording artist. I want to talk more about that in a moment. Um, I, I happened to come across your book, Emmanuel, years ago in, uh, in War Child, in a used bookstore. I read it. I was fascinated. Years later, I accidentally tripped across this movie called The Good Lie, which tells about the, the plight of the, the child soldiers or the lost boys of the Sudan and the repatriation mm-hmm. to the United States. You were one of the stars of it, along with Reese Witherspoon. And then during that movie, I kept hearing all the great songs. I'm like, wow, these are really cool. I got to look at the, the titles at the end. And, uh, you know, and I, I saw these songs like um, I'll Find a Way, Fall, and We Fall and Get Up, and was just blown away. And that's you. Um, and, you know, I know, I think, I think I know a lot about you. And my impression of you, which is borne out more in all we've discussed today, is somebody who truly is not only at peace with himself, but somebody who genuinely in a heartfelt manner is trying to make a change to happiness, to joy for as many people as he can impact. So what, what do you tell people that are out there struggling from a guy who's gone uh, from somebody who felt violence was exciting to, to recording a, an amazing song called We Want Peace, where you got Alicia Keys and Jimmy Carter and Richard Branson and a bunch of others to participate? What do you tell people that are struggling that there's always a chance to go from one extreme end to the other? Well, I mean, what I can say is problems are amazing. We're as vulnerable as the challenges we overcome. So what I would say is if you want to work like is clean up your heart, just forgive, so that you can walk light, so that your heart can generate that positive energy you're looking for, so that it's able to give, give you that joy. And so I always look at it, what's your heart power? What is driving your heart? Is it self-interest? Is it purpose? Or is it bitterness? If what is driving by your heart power is driven by self-interest, you'll not go that far, but you'll hurt a lot of people in the process. If you're driven by bitterness, then you're going to hurt yourself and many people. But if your heart is driven by purpose, you're going to heal yourself, and you're going to heal many people, and you're going to go wrong. And so, and actually, if you have a purpose and you know your vision, so then you're unstoppable because when you have, when you walk in your purpose, it's clear defined goals and a burning desire to act. Success will just follow you like your shadow. Now, to me, what matters the most is cleaning myself inside. Everybody's on a, on a rush to make the world a better place, thinking that's the way forward program to become a, a different person. One thing that I found a lot, and this is very selfish on my part, but I want to bring it up because I think some of our listeners might be feeling something of, of the following. So they're going to go, well, yeah, so this guy lost his family, and yeah, this guy was a child soldier, and, and this guy had this happen, and this guy had that happen. But look at him now. Now he's a famous recording artist and he's hanging out with Alicia Keys and he's a best-selling author and he's a movie star 
And then that's just not me. So my, my, my point of this is, you know, how, how is there a mechanism buddy can use to cross? This is such a big question, man. And I'm sorry to put you on the spot. Somebody could use to switch from negative to starting a positive. Yeah, it's possible. So if you look at it, I think human beings love stories. And everybody likes a story that begins where they can see the journey. You know, a Cinderella story is a global story for everybody. A survival story works for everybody. We can never help it. You know, every person has a story. When that story is presented, it doesn't matter where that story is from, whether it's an American story. That's why Hollywood has taken the whole world by using stories. And so the fact that I'm here and whoever is listening, sometimes they won't believe it. How did they come from there to here? And it's the same thing. When man flies to the space, everybody says, oh, if that person can fly, then I can fly the plane too. And so each and every our struggle comes with new experiences that we can share with others. And that's what I'm sharing. So I, 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 was, I normally ask people a question. Who owns your mind? Is it fear, worry, anxiety, or poverty? Who owns your mind? Because the battles are fought in the mind, and they're won in the heart. And whoever owns your mind owns you in everything you create. And so what owned my mind in the past was fear, worry, anxiety, poverty. And what dominated my mind the most was trauma. And what is it? I call it a soul murder a mental genocide, an invasion of demons to occupy space in your mind. You have flashbacks in the day and you have nightmares at night. So where do you go? Some people have insomnia, they can't sleep. Sometimes my brain, I remember some days, I, if I were to talk about proper sleep, that I'm actually sleeping in bed, if I was to compress the amount of hour, I'll probably say one hour to three hours. That's at night, that's sleep. Everything else, I'm awake, aware, just like in the bush, because we're taught to sleep with one eye open. Now, now begin to master how I can actually fake sleep and wake up rested the next day. I can even pretend I'm snoring. <laughs> you know? I like, or just focus myself on just deep breathing meditation, which gives me the same relaxation as sleep and then working to shut up my mind, and that, that's what is supporting. But sometimes my mind goes at work. I still have those sign effects, but they've improved over years. Yeah, I'm sorry, go ahead, yes. And there's a way, you know, there's different ways. One thing, one of, there is, there's several different things that I use, but I'm going to give a simple, simple, uh, simple step that somebody can apply if they want to help themselves. So I reprogram myself to be where I am. I have created new pathways, uh, new, 
new dendrites or axons in my brain to handle new information and give me better thoughts, better experiences that can be ignited in my brain every day. So it doesn't mean that trauma is gone. It's in the old brain. But now I have new parts in my brain that have new, fresh memories that excite me every day. And how did I build them? For you to program yourself, you must have a dream, a dream, vision, or something, a big audacious goal, something you want. You have to know what your purpose is. And then change your environment. So there are two types of environment. The internal environment, which is how you handle your thought. This is your beliefs and the habits. And then external environment would be the location, the people you talk to. Now, once you have, you're able to do those four points, the next things you need is you just need to have mantras to support each and every one habit or a belief you want to create. And then the next step is study what it is and then have an action plan. And when you put yourself in that, one of the reasons, the advantage of having a, a vision because what happened is flashback occupy the creative faculty of our mind. And it brings those pictures there. Negative thought occupy that place. But now when you train yourself and hold your vision in your mind and use the imagination and be in that creative process, then train yourself through repetition to only catch, to catch thoughts that are going to build your vision, catch thoughts that are going to ignite you to continue to align yourself with your goals. So by doing that routine, what happens slowly by slowly, you're gonna have more thoughts flooding into your head to support your vision. But now your purpose is for your heart. So your heart now, your vision is for your mind and the purpose is for your heart. So what maintain your heart so you have joy that is pumped into your head every day and maintain you. And then now when you change your environment, the internal environment, you're providing yourself with new content, new learning, you know? And then, then you have the external environment, which allows you to control what you want to hear. And so I am lucky because a British aid worker called Emma McCune rescued me when I was 13 and smuggled me to Kenya. And that she changed my environment. But because I had a desire, because I want to be a part of a solution as a kid, that was my purpose already. Now, with time, because I want to I have a vision at that time, so now I am engaged, so engaged fully in my mind. My mind is occupied by the thoughts of the future. I want to share one part that really helped me as a kid, why I see purpose as important. I remember... One time when me and other kids would lie down and we're starving. And then what I would do in my head is, because I always want to be a part of a solution, I would imagine myself either as a doctor. And I'll look at that, how would that look like as a doctor? And I see myself wearing white stuff and then doctor stuff and helping people, from rescuing people from dying. And it gives me joy. Sometimes I would imagine myself like a pilot, I've not been in the plane. I don't know how a plane looks like yeah, inside a plane, but I would imagine myself flying. And sometimes I would imagine myself to be wherever 
inspired me at that moment. I imagine myself to be. But the thing is, when I, when I open my eyes, the reality is seen here. We are starving. Children are dying next to me. Then my a thought, a question would come into my head. Now you're you're dreaming about how you're going to be a part of a solution. How can you practice it now? What is it that you can do that can be a practice? Then as a kid, I'll try to crack a joke, try to talk to these starving kids. <laughs> You'll see some of them trying to smile in even their worst condition. And then it excites my brought energy. I was active. And then my head will ask me a question again. Why don't you go and eat that tree? And if that tree does not kill you, come and share it with this kid. Then I do that. I go and eat something. And then I eat snails. And the next thing I'm eating the leaf or something. Then other kids started following. And so when you have a vision or a, a purpose, it's no longer going to be about you. You're going to be a mass in creating the change. And in that process, your entire brain redevelop itself. And you're going to be engaged in a different... To me, that's the process I've used up to nowadays. I've constantly engaged myself. And now I have new memory. I have new thoughts. You know, I've cleaned my heart by forgiving those who have caused me harm. Because when you're bitter, you're just... The bitterness will just keep igniting the defeat of the past every day. But when you clean your heart, then your heart will pump positive thoughts, which will speed your recovery and healing. Emmanuel, I have so so many questions, so many takeaways from that. Uh, There's a way. If somebody wants to know how this functions, they can join our community. So we have... That was the question I had. Yes, of course. Please. (laughs) So we have an online community called mylifeisartcommunity.org. So there's learnings, we share stories, but there's also steps that 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 somebody can follow in a guided meditation. In Excellent. I wanted to yeah. ask you that because what you were describing, I would very much like to say what you were describing is how I live my life these days. I like to think that I do at least. Uh, but I found myself wanting to know if I can follow your program also. So I'm sure the listeners out there are thinking the same thing. Wow, this is amazing, but but I can't write all this down. I can't assimilate all of this. Where do I go to integrate this into my own life? And can you tell us again the name of the uh, the platform? It's just like my life is art. Community.org. All right, all right. Excellent. Well, you have uh, a new member in me and hopefully a, a whole lot from our talking tough. But Emmanuel and I have lost connection three times now during this interview. So we're going to do our best to pick back up uh, right where we were. So uh, Emmanuel, there, there's a plan to a- achieve the peace of mind that, that I can clearly hear that you have. So it's, it's safe to say that you know, you, you talk about loving violence. You, you've written about that, not now, in the past. You've talked about wanting revenge. These are clearly now thoughts that are, are well, well in your past. So it's safe to say you, you weren't born a happy-go-lucky guy, were you? This, this is something that you conscientiously <laughs> sought for your later life. Yeah, my desire as a kid 
was to kill as many Muslims and Arabs as possible. That was my desire. That was my heart power at that time was driven by bitterness. And let me tell you, when you're bitter, you got energy. You can wake up anytime. Like, it gives you some force to be able to achieve things, but it crunches you. It sucks every piece out of you. You know, that's what I experienced. When I experienced walking in this other side, oh, there's never going back. Because <laughs> I tested the joy. I experienced what freedom is. Freedom from, you see, you can, there's the freedom of your mind and then there's freedom of your heart. Bitterness holds you captive and it shrinks yourself. And so there's a way, you know, and human's body knows what's the way, but sometimes we don't want to let go. We hold on to things because we feel we can find justice for that person. But look at it. When a fire burns you, you don't try to hold justice on fire. Or let's say if you have been beaten by a scorpion as a kid, but I'm never bitter about scorpion. I know I'm scared of scorpion. I'm just more careful about scorpion. But I never had my nightmares or planning to revenge on scorpion. And so I use that same methodology. Somebody hurt me, cool. It's just like a fire would burn me. Now I know that person can burn me. How do I keep off? Yeah, those those are those are powerful metaphors. I can I can see it as you're as you're describing it. Um, man, you 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 come out the other side, and there's I you know there's thankfully more and more people like that, but then um, regrettably not not as many yet as I hope there will be. And and I truly believe and hope that your words and your message are are going to keep inspiring. Um, there. There's something I want to mention that to, to me is right in line with everything we're talking about and also just kind of entertaining at the same time. You, you've gone from the places you have been to where you are now. And, and obviously, life changes and you do different things and take on new missions. I, I want to bring up your, your best buddy, 50 Cent, for a minute, please. Um, <laughs> yeah, I figured, I thought you might laugh when I said that, you know, I did, I, I, I grew up like in the seventies and eighties. So w- when I grew up, music didn't have any objectionable lyrics. Um, it didn't objectify women. It didn't glorify violence. It was really about just, um, you know, improving upon what was hopefully an already nice existence or a good time. And you went from where you went to becoming an internationally renowned court, uh, recording artist, and then you decided to to take on Fifty Cent. <laughs> what was the reason behind that? Well, the producer and son, I think, went to do some drivers shooting in. I think at one time, like you know, when you are growing, when your knowledge is still not full, you can begin to point fingers. So at that time, you know. I'm trying to say, what, looking at it, I said 50 cent was the one causing the damage. But if you look at, hey, it's not 50 cent. If the condition has been put in and he has to rap like that, that's what, at that moment, that's what we're selling, you know? And so when you don't, when you don't have enough knowledge about the system, sometimes you just point your hands up. So we were just in duty with just angry. So like, well, we got to get back and try to correct this guy. But not to say anything bad, but just to tell him how he's important as a how he's a role model. And I think probably fifty cent 
change his attitude after a while. I don't know whether it's because of us, but his DJ, the one who DJed for him, uh, interviewed me at one time and also actually probably played the song. Well, and that's that's beautiful. And, and he has changed. And I was wondering if, if you were part of the change. And I could I could definitely see that as being... Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I won't take any credit. I well, no, and I know you're not trying to do that. But for, for whatever <laughs> yeah. the reason, whatever the reason behind it is, I'm, I'm glad to see the change in him. And again, I think it's it's further evidence that we, we, we all have a better tomorrow if our hearts and our, our minds are in the right place to do so. Um, that's a very simplistic way to say it, I think, but I, I believe wholeheartedly in that message and clearly in, in a much more articulate form you do as well. And I appreciate that. Yeah. Uh, may, may I ask you some, uh, we're, we're close to our hour here and we, we tend to keep things pretty lean and mean on, on talking tough. Um, may I ask you some uh, quick fan-related questions, if you don't mind? Yeah, let's, let's rock them, bro. All right, great, great. So, a- as you know, I've been in touch with your manager, Tanya, who's amazing, by the way. And we have talked about you coming out to Hawaii to do some shows out here, uh, co-headlining with Russell Brand. I-, I think that would be an absolutely am- amazing pairing, by the way. Yeah, he Russell is off the hook. He's a, he's on another planet. <laughs> well, you both you both are, man. Which is why I think it's such a good such a good bill. But but in but in different great ways each for sure. Um, yeah, you, you both have messages, and you both have a very unique, compelling way of delivering those messages. Which is why I think the pairing works so well. So let's say when we get you out here, not if. What do we expect from an Emmanuel Jaw performance or show when we go to see you? Well, most people have to see it to just experience it and believe it, you know? And there's all kind of people who have different experiences in it. Some feel like, oh, I, I feel like I've been washed. I feel clean from inside. Some will say I feel light. Some feel somebody's imagination has sparked. So there's different experiences because when I go, you know, I I like to sh- I like to get people mind to think. I like to reach into their heart. I like I like their belly to move. I want them to laugh. And I love creating experiences that give people joy. That I, I look forward to not only seeing that but getting to be a a, a part of. Uh, of promoting that here uh, in the Hawaiian Islands, so the the experience are you are, will the fans will they be hearing you talk and share your experience? Will they be hearing you perform your music? Will it be a combination uh, of the both? So it depends. So if you're getting me to come as a keynote speak or to speak, then I combine my speaking and music. But if you're calling me strictly for music, then we just rock music. <laughs> Right on. Yeah. Right. I don't speak without performing. So if you ask me to be a keynote speaker, I come with a song and I tell my story, do poetry, continue telling the story, and finish with a song. Because I like to leave people on a high note. You know, you don't want to leave the trauma stuck into their bodies. You, try, you take them through the journey and leave them in a situation where they're like cleaned up from inside. 
Oh man, I that I've always wanted to bring you here, and that just increases the bar that much more. We'll we'll get it done, and and because uh, because I know do all the work to get you here, and because I'm a big fan, if I uh, if I request a couple of songs, could you maybe make that happen? Uh, like uh, songs to play, or yeah, a couple. Uh, yeah, I love your music. Like you know, I. I I got very into the good live soundtrack, to be honest. So things like, uh, I'll find a way, which I know you do with another artist and, and, and we want peace of course. And we fall and get up. Are these things that you perform in concert still? So I do, we want peace. So, uh, I do T Sean, the new, the new album. So it depends on time, you know, on oh, the right. crowd and what you can de- deliver. Because performance depends on how you read your crowd and see what songs you want to play at that moment, you know? All right, cool, cool. That That's perfect. I love that you're doing that and not off a uh, set list. You're, you're, you're filling the crowd, which is great. Um, so to, to the listeners out there, we I mentioned, and then Emmanuel, Emmanuel mentioned, We Want Peace. That's the name of one of Emmanuel's songs. And I implore all of you out there to do a Google search. For we want peace, Emmanuel Jal, and I think you're going to be blown away. Um, a, a guy who experienced what Emmanuel experienced to making a video that genuinely, in a heartfelt way, promotes peace, and coming from where he came from to include people like George Clooney and Richard Branson in, in his video. It's um, I don't know, Emmanuel. Talk talk about from one extreme to the other. Um, in, in, in rising through challenges and, and coming back to the top. Um, and then here's a, here's a fan-related question for you also. Man, I have searched the World Wide Web far and wide to find a We Want Peace t-shirt that you wear in that video. Where in the world can I get one of those shirts? <laughs> I think they ran out. <laughs> you ran out. Well, we better make some new shirts, man. Come on. <laughs> And uh, in, in the movie The Good Lie, um, how what percentage, guys? The Good Lie tells Emmanuel's story. It tells the story of the Lost Boys of the Sudan. Uh, Reese Witherspoon is one of the stars of it. Um, what percentage of that movie is is accurate and true to life, Emmanuel? Actually, that is a true story. Actually, the young people who actually have that story. So the story of Lost Boy, the Margaret Nikiel is the one who wrote the story, and, and she wrote it. But actually, it's like their real experiences like that, which is amazing. I, I assume that it was. What? Uh, here's your next fan question. What was the end of the story with Namir? Well, it's supposed to, because he exchanged and gave his, his, uh, his passport to his brother, you know? Yep. The and, then he, and then he started staying in, in the camp because people do like that. Those days, there were no fingerprints, so you can always exchange. <laughs> and we all look the same black, so it's like right. uh, we all look the same and South Sudanese and Americans are not used to us and seeing the difference. You know? <laughs> okay, well, you know? I, I don't think you look the same. I want to bring this up because we're going to end stuff on a light note here. You're you're a pretty good looking guy, man. This is don't worry. This is not personal. I'm as straight as they come. Dude. Um, do, you, do you have a significant other in your life? 
Like, uh, what do you mean? A girlfriend, a wife? Oh. Yes, yes. Yeah, at the moment, I'm still in the market, so I have kids, yes, but I'm still there now. Yeah, not married yet. I'm now 40, so probably I'll probably settle soon. Okay, but you said you're in the market or you're or you're committed. I'm sorry. I'm in the market. You're in the market. All right, dude. I'm gonna I'm gonna fly out uh, to Toronto this weekend, and we're gonna go out and have some fun. Okay. Oh, definitely, man. Oh, you coming this weekend? Well, no, but it sounds good anyway. Just thinking about it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Cool. Cool. All right, guys. This, this this is Emmanuel Dahl, who it, it's like such a thrill for me to talk with him today. And for for our listeners out there, I want to leave you with a few things. And then, uh, Emmanuel, I want to ask you where to point them as well. Search, please. We Want Peace, Emmanuel Jaw on Google for one of the most amazing songs and videos you've ever seen. Search the book and download the book, whatever it is, it is Kindle, Amazon, whatever it is, War Child, which is the book about Emmanuel's experiences. And what he's recounted here, and it goes in obviously to quite a lot more detail than you could do in one hour. Um, Emmanuel, you told us about your your website and where people can go to to really understand your teachings and what turned you around. If you could uh, give us the uh, the URL address once again, and then let us know anything else we should be looking at, please. Yes, yeah. it's www.my L Y L I F E I S A R T community dot org. My life is art community dot org. Excellent. My life is art community dot org. I'm gonna become a new member. Um, there's there's so much to be admired about you, so much to be learned from you. And it's uh man, it it's been such a great pleasure having you on today. Thanks. Thank you so much, Emmanuel Joel, for agreeing to come on Talking Tough. Thank you, brother. Peace with you. With you as well. I hope to uh, see you soon, my friend. Safe travels. Bye-bye. I'm calling out to the whole wide world. Help me scream and shout that we want peace. Big love to Emmanuel Joel. Oh yeah, oh yeah, I'm looking for some people who's looking for peace Maybe together we could make the war cease Now we can send mankind to the moon And we can reach to the bottom of the sea That's why it's really kinda baffles me That we cannot end wars and bring peace And we cannot change the way people act And we cannot change the way people think so if we sit back, chill out and relax Civilization will soon be extinct That's why I am I'm calling on I'm calling on the whole wide world Fear is the devil policeman Fear 
make a genocide with Hitler so he can Feel a war of genocide and I'm a good weekend Lighting up the land cause nobody was speaking That's why I am I'm calling on the whole wide world Come on people, would you help me? Let's scream and shout cause we want peace For the poor people living and die for The world gone deaf, the world gone blind The world busy sitting down on the behind Nobody care about the poor and needy To be me sucking up to the rich and the greedy For every hero there's a villain I am kidding, we got a shot sending out all sins One more time, we got no more time We gotta figure out the way that we could all combine Like Jericho, the world comes tumbling down The sound of voices out of city surround You know what it's worth Put our voices to work We're gonna shut down heaven and earth That's why I am I'm calling on I'm calling on the whole wide world Come on people, would you help me? sunshine and rainbows it's a very mean and nasty place and I don't care how tough you are it will beat you to your knees and keep you there permanently if you let it you me or nobody is gonna hit as hard as life but it ain't about how hard you hit it's about how hard you can get hit and keep moving forward how much you can take and keep moving forward that's how winning is done now, if you know what you're worth, now go out and get what you're worth. But you got to be willing to take the hits and not pointing fingers saying you ain't where you want to be because of him or her or anybody. Cowards do that and that ain't you. You're better than that.